Welcome to the Energetic Radio Podcast. My name is Dale Sidebottom. Each week, I'll bring you inspirational guests who will help you bring fun, energy, and purpose into your lives. Let the show begin. Welcome back to the podcast. This is episode number 317 with Andy. Neely, how are you, Andy? Very good. 317. Wow. That's that's amazing. It is, Fantastic. Mate. Congratulations. Thank you. God. Well, this is your second time on the podcast, and you are now a uh, second-time author, which uh, I'm really excited to chat about today. But before we do that now, I know we are talking about before that uh, you've recently got your motorbike license, and um, you're a little bit wet yep. at the moment because you've been riding in the rain, which Very. is a bit silly. But besides your new book coming out, because I can imagine, well, how exciting that's been and um, just how proud you would have been of that because we're going to talk about that. But besides your book, Andy, what has lit you up, given you gratitude, bought you joy in the last seven days? Yeah, going back to my motorbike. I'm absolutely loving riding my motorbike. I've been a push bike rider for my whole life. I've always had a bike. I I've, I've ride, ride in the mornings. I ride to work. Uh, I, I go on bike tours. I love being on two wheels and now having a, a motorbike, a, it's a push bike with a motor, <laughs> obviously, it, I can put anything on it and I can go faster and I can go around corners and the joy of being out in the open road is fantastic. So I've planned planned a trip coming up to early next year with a mate down to Tassie. I can do the twisties on the motorbike, go camping and stuff. So that has given me joy and it continues to give me joy. I love that. Now, my uh, my father does listen to this, Andy, and he's uh, got a lot of motorbikes. I think to his disgust, I haven't got my license, but he goes to Tasmania regularly because he absolutely loves it, um, just because not many people on the roads either. Uh, and once you master that, uh, I think New Zealand is, oh, that's, uh, that's a bucket list item for you there, mate. I would, I would love to take the motorbike to New Zealand. I was actually there a couple of weeks ago on the North Island, and I said to my wife, Sandy, it's like, this is, a, this is made for motorbikes here. <laughs> this is fantastic. It's great. <laughs> what a great country. Have you been to New Zealand before? Oh, mate, I used, to, I used to go four or five times a year. I used to run a lot of workshops over there. So, yeah, I've, I've been there probably 20 or 30 times. Um, absolutely love it. And each, do you know what I love about each place you go to, Andy, that uh, – they're all got water views. They're all on water. They're all picturesque. It's amazing. They are. It is an amazing place. And what for me makes New Zealand are the people. I love the Kiwis. They are so genuine. They are so friendly. They're just an awesome, awesome group of people. I love the Kiwis. Yeah. And I know I- we have a lot of banter between Aussies and Kiwis, <laughs> that, you know, sledging them and stuff. And that sort of might continue. But in my heart, they are just amazing people i would be proud if i was born a kiwi well and i think that's one of the biggest things i love about their countries um how well they have kept their maori tradition going um and you know starting a workshop or whenever i've been over there they all introduce themselves in their maori tone and um i just think they've they're a beautiful country very progressive um so clean so nice and um if you do like adventure it's a place to go it is a great place. Well, mate, there you go. Both- There's the new, new, we've just done the New Zealand tourist board uh, <laughs> advertisement. So well, the checks will come in soon, I'm sure. Maybe we'll get a free trip. 
over well, there. If, if they are looking for uh, <laughs> anyone to promote it, we've done a pretty good job of it, mate. That could be the uh, the two-minute slogan they need. But the thing we are going to talk about today is you, mate, and your books. Now, um, I've got your first one here, Connecting With Your Kids, which um, yep. is brilliant, and we've already spoke about that because um, you've already been on the podcast. The one that I got in the mail recently, and I must admit I'm quite, uh, quite chuffed because I was part of it as well, and we'll talk about, um, obviously, the interviews you've done there, but connecting with your teens, fun and simple, fun, simple, practical ideas to help raising resilient teenagers. Now, obviously you've got three kids. Um, That's where the inspiration of the book came from, I'm guessing. Um, But more importantly, the thing I really love about it is, um, you know, you can read some books, Andy, and you're like, wow, that was really good, but you don't know how to implement it. The thing I love about this, and I must admit, I haven't read it all yet, but I have read parts of it. It is a 12-month plan, 52 weeks with a simple theme each one, and then practical ideas. So yes, this is brilliant for teenagers, but this could be used in workplaces, sports clubs, at home. Um, it could be used anywhere. How did, I, I've, I'm rambling and I've talked a lot here, mate, but um, where did the idea come from the 12-month weekly theme? Because um, I think it's brilliant and it's great. Well, for those people who haven't read the book or haven't seen it, it it's actually broken into to chapters. So each chapter has a theme. It could be um, uh, gratitude. It could be resilience. It could be dealing with anxiety. It could be homework issues. It could be dating. So they're all teenage themes. And they're, they're each chapter in each theme to be followed sequentially, or maybe your kid or your teenager needs something more than something else you could go to that chapter but it's about just doing something really simple together as a family each week one simple thing that gives that connection that builds that relationship it could it all the activities are really accessible it doesn't need much stuff it doesn't need a lot of there's no cost involved you can just get a couple of bits of equipment if anything and do them and the whole premise of learning these executive skills while building relationships is so important because we know in times times in our lives we have struggle and challenges and we want to have those relationships that are connected and we know if there's someone who we trust and we're connected with we can go to them and say hey listen dale something's not right with me at the moment you know i really trust you because i've got a good relationship with you can you give me some help and that might be that conversation that that starter that not that you dale or whoever you're talking to might have the answer but if you're aware that someone around you is having a challenge, a mental health challenge or a concern, or they're having a, something that's tricky to deal with, which could be your teenager, they come to you because they trust you. And I know we are so busy as pe- people, as adults, that you know we don't want our kids to go, hey, hey, Dad, hold on a sec, I'll come come back later. Oh, Dad's too busy. You know, we want to, we want them to be able to go, yeah, I trust, I trust Dad. I can go to him, and he'll say, yeah, sure. What is it? That time. So it, the the activities, you know, could be helpful to learn that skill, but the real strength in it is building the relationship, playing a game with your kids, going for a walk, going, having a chat, doing some fun stuff, really simple stuff. Mm. And, and that's that's what I love about it. And I think um, there's so many, there's so much advice out there, particularly for parents, for families on things to do, things not to do, but it's probably a lot of the things I love about your book, Andy, and particularly the other one as well, because my kids are a little bit younger than yours, but they're practical, simple ideas that we probably did as kids ourselves, but we, we overcomplicate things. Like we just want to complicate yep. things. Why? 
We, I don't know what it is. We do. And I've read so many books on parenting and teaching and all that sort of stuff. And they've got all these theories and amazing research and all this study and, you know, evidence and data. But you know what? At the end of the day, when I've read some of these books, I go, well, what difference has it made? <laughs> There's the, the practicality of those books is like, okay, I've got some great theories. This is really good. But the, the idea behind my book is just like, I can do that. I can do that. I can do that. You know, research or not, we know as people, you know, those times when you spend with your kids, you know, you don't need to, to do a PhD. You don't need data. You don't need to do research and get evidence. You know how you feel. You know in your heart. You know you've got to smile. And you know your kids say to you, hey, let's do it again. We've, we've, I've got, you talked about my three kids. I've got a 20-year-old Daisy. Finn's 18 and Monty is 16. And in the last few days, instead of having the telly on, we've been playing this game called Carbo. It's a fantastic card game. Well, can you just, so sorry, simple, to, but, sorry to interrupt. What's, I yeah. love card games. Can you tell me what Carbo is? This is one of the best games we've played. You get four cards. Okay, I'll try and explain it as simply as you can. Everyone gets four cards and you can look at two of them and then you put it down and you get a lot of cards. So you can get a card called Peak. So you can look at one of the other ones. You can get a card called Swap. You can swap your card with someone else or two other people's cards. And the idea is to get rid of your cards as quickly as you can and get the lowest score. And if you call Carbo, you don't get another turn. Everyone else gets one more turn. If you don't get the lowest score, you add six on. And if you get the lowest score, you're right. And it is it is a fierce memory game. You have to remember because as soon as you start as soon as you're playing the game and someone says, oh, the kettle's boiled or something, don't don't, don't interrupt me. I'm concentrating <laughs> my four cards. Stop it. And it's really great. And I keep saying, I keep saying to my kids, this is great for dementia. But the worst thing is I keep forgetting that I keep saying it. So <laughs> I'm not sure if it is. Anyway, it's, it's a great game. And, and the, what I was saying about that, now I know you'll probably get this game, Carbo, C-A-B-O, brilliant. Uh, the, the thing is when you've got teenage kids, I've got, Two adults, one's 18, one's 20, and they're saying, hey, mum and dad, can we play Carbo or can we play another game? That's what I want. Yeah. We don't have the telly on. The kids want to play games with us. You know, we've got really strong, connected uh, relationships, and I, I really believe our family are strongly connected. We're talking about going camping with some friends over Easter next year, and I said, oh, you know, if we go down to Wilson's Prom for a week, hey, mind you, it's your birthday. Do you want to go or do you want to, what do you want to do? Do you want to? his 17th birthday he goes no i'll go camping he wants to go camping with us a lot of 17 year olds don't want to go camping with their parents mm. so that's that's where by writing connecting with your kids and connecting with your teens i wanted to make sure that my family were strongly connected and you know we had kids because we wanted to spend time with them teenagers get such a bad rap i love teenagers they're awesome they are so good don't get me wrong I butt heads. I used to butt heads with Finn, and now I butt heads with Monty a fair bit. That's the way it goes, you know. But I love them, and they actually want to spend time with me most of the time. Not always. <laughs> I get it. That's how it goes, you know. I'm the old bloke, but you know. Anyway, I um I think that's exactly what you mentioned there, mate. That uh, you you've done something right because card games are the ultimate. I love everything about it. I love when you're talking about, you know, the memory aspect. I'm, I'm a real big 500 player. So you've got to, you yep. know, you've got to do exactly the same thing there, but most card games are the same where you've got to remember, you've got to, 
you've got to actively be watching because if you're not, you're not going to win the game. Um, and I, I love that. That's on you. It's not on anyone else. And that's the beautiful thing about cards. Like it's amazing. So I am going to check out Carbo. The thing I want to know though, obviously, you know, there's every, every chapter for each week in your new book is there, particularly for teenagers that you've found and you've got no better studies than your three kids yourself, Andy, is there two or three themes, you know, you've mentioned gratitude, resilience, dealing with conflict, all different things. Is there any two that you think uh, probably the most important or one or two or three? I, I don't know. Have you come across certain themes um, that you spoke about but have been really prevalent and, and important um, for what you've been able to create and shape with your three kids yourself? Yeah, I would say at the moment uh, in society, in Western society, we have a lot of anxiety. A lot of kids who are really worried about school. They're worried about their friendships. It's it's a it's a really concerning for me. A lot of mental health is on the decline with our adolescents. Um, so I think resilience is a, is a really important skill to have. I think as parents, we don't do ourselves any favours, and teachers too, any kids' favours when we say, oh, you know, you better be careful. Oh, don't take a risk. Um, it's, maybe you maybe you'll get hurt. Maybe you'll make a mistake. You've you've got to make mistakes. You've got to take risks. You've got to become independent. So with our kids, one of the things we want our kids to to be is independent, independent and resilient. So when our kids eventually move out, they're going to have struggles and challenges, and things are going to be tough. You know, in your life, you've had challenges. I have too. And if you're resilient, you can bounce back. You can also get help from people, but you actually have to face challenges. And I think sometimes as parents, we don't want our kids to struggle and feel anxious. So we don't let, we wrap them up in cotton wool. We're actually doing them a disservice. We need to push them out and make them suffer and have hard times. Now, I'm not trying to be mean, but we know by having hard times and challenges, you build resilience. And I think one key about one strong thing to help resilience is independence. I'm, I'm running some workshops at the moment about developing resilience, sorry, developing, I don't think about this, developing resilience through independence. So by, by kids and then teenagers becoming independent, they're going to be more resilient and be able to cope better. So for example, younger kids packing their own lunch, carrying their own bag, getting themselves to school, those sorts of things. And as they get older, learn to cook, learn to clean, to, to shop. So by becoming independent, the kids can move out and they'll be able to go, hey, you know what? Oh, I'm feeling a bit anxious, feeling a bit worried. That's okay. And speaking about anxiety, you know, I think we're really worried about, we don't want our kids to experience anxiety. There's a lot of medical people who say they've been diagnosed with anxiety. I'm not sure about being diagnosed with that. I've never seen anyone diagnosed with happiness. <laughs> but anxiety and happiness are emotions. I'm not sure about diagnosis. Now, I don't have a, a degree in this stuff. I'm not saying it's not, doesn't exist, but I just question it. Mm. I question being diagnosed with things that, you know, are normal human emotions. Being anxious is normal. I don't know about you, but I've felt anxious before. Yeah. I've worried before. And guess what? I've been happy before too. Mm. No one's diagnosed with, with uh, happiness. Or, you know, being ecstatic. Oh, 
Yeah. Dale, I mean, I'm diagnosing you. You're too, you're too happy. Oh, I'm going to have to give you some medication. Yeah. It's a bit, bit, that's just where we, where we are in society. Oh, I know, but I think with that, um, I've done a lot of reading and research on this because I talk a lot about stress and anxiety in the work I do, and I know you do as well. They're emotions that we actually need. You can't suppress them and you can't get rid of them. The key with obviously building resilience or however you want to shape this is you need to know how to regulate those. And we're all different. So if you label somebody, I hate giving people labels. Why do we do this? Jeez, it pisses me off. But the moment you <laughs> label someone anxious, yeah, we're, we're all got anxious. We're all anxious and we always will be. We just need to know how to regulate that. And that regulation is different for every single one of us. Um, but labeling them and giving them something to suppress it, it's actually doing a disservice because like you said, they need to know how to handle that when they are anxious, what can they do that works for them? Like it, oh, it makes me angry when you hear things like this, because yes, we're all that don't give it. It's not a cop out. Learn how to deal with it. Like there are so many different ways. There you go. That's a rant for you, mate. But like, does it annoy you too? Like, yeah, I want to be happy. I love being happy, but I'm not always. Like that. Like it's the same with anxiety. Yeah, exactly. It's and if you are always happy, happiness would just be a bit dull. You know, you'd be like, oh, you want it. You want those anxious and tough times and and sadness. But you want those. So when you feel happy, you actually enjoy it. And you go, oh, wow, I'm really feeling it. And I notice this is different to sadness. And sadness is okay too. It's all normal. It's normal. And I think sometimes in society too, we want to find the answer. There's no answer. You know, <laughs> there's nothing. There's just, there's, there's just, you know, there's ways, there's ways to handle things. There's ways to do things that might work for you. But, you know, just because you did this time doesn't mean it's going to work the same next time. You know, anyway. I'm having my rant too. Well, I think it's important though because, and and this is the hardest thing, people that are listening out there, if you're a teacher, if you're a parent, somebody that is nurturing and molding and guiding somebody, the hardest thing is to sit back and not interfere, not give the answer. You know, and, and essentially that's what it is by not labeling somebody. Um, if they're going through a tough time or something's happening in their life, they need to be able to sort that out themselves. Yes, you can help them along the way, but by giving the answer or doing it for them, you're doing a disservice, exactly what you said. And that comes back to those emotions, stress, anxiety, pressure, you know, highs and lows. They've got, everyone has to feel it so you get that euphoria when you do get a good experience or you do feel good because you knew what it was like not to feel that way. Yep, I, I agree with you. And you know what? I think that as humans, we actually do have the answers inside us. Sometimes we don't know as if you were to help someone, you can sometimes guide them to help them. Like you might have skills in a lot of areas and you have some concern in another area. So how can we connect your concern to the skills that you have? So I think even kids, they have the answers. They know what works for them. Rather than me say, you should do this, this and this, it's connecting them to their own answers. So, you know, it's amazing. You know, I work with a lot of younger kids and they really are quite resourceful. Mm. Oh, they definitely are. Um, I think we uh, are going to be nearly more resourceful than us, particularly, you know, and you're a wellbeing coordinator at uh, down down uh, the coast at a primary school. Um, when we were going through school, and this isn't anybody's fault, it's not our teacher's fault, Andy, but there was no mental health. It wasn't even a thing back then. I think if we look at our kids now, they are more resourceful than us because they've been brought up in this system that, you know, showing your feelings is okay, sharing, being vulnerable, but they also know ways to deal with it because that's what we've equipped them with. So we've got to let them use those skills. 
Yeah, absolutely. We sure do. And they have such really good mental health literacy these days, and they actually have a lot of solutions. They're really, uh, like compared to us, they're really well versed and knowledge in this, which is brilliant. Mm, so true. Now, I really enjoyed your first book, the, the dad jokes around the ant, the jokes. Um, what made you bring the bee jokes in, in this one? Um, are, are, well, you, are they your dad jokes around animals? Is it, I really enjoyed no, it. No, no. Well, you know, um, so thank you very much. That the the started with A for ant, B for bee, C, not sure what C will be, That's... and they're bugs and sort of stuff. <laughs> Maybe there could be cat jokes as long as I can get you know some catastrophic comments in there. Um, we'll see. But it depends. I knew that ants. There was a lot of words with ants in it, and there were a lot of words with bee in it. So all right, so cat might be a bit of a struggle. So that that was actually fun doing those jokes in this the second book because I did them with Daisy and and Finn. We went on a trip to Queensland and we sat down and, and I did them with them, and we were just the great thing is my kids have got dad jokes down pat. I love it. They used to roll their eyes at me, but now they're on board. And poor Sandy, you just got to put up with it. You know, they're, they're just they're they're PhD in dad jokes. So that that was so much fun doing those. And you know, the my publishers, I'm writing another book uh, with a fellow by the name of John Henry. Um, that's my project next year. And my publishers ask wants to republish connecting with the kids. So she said, make about ten percent change. I think that the change from connecting with the kids to connecting with the teens, the difference in the second book that I really like is each chapter has a story. Now, I interviewed a whole lot of people and they told a story about when they were a teenager, including you, Dale, as you know. I did, yeah. And what I find, I absolutely loved talking to all these people and hearing their stories when they were teenagers. Just one point in time when they were a teenager and that's where I reckon the connection is. So to read the book, even if you're not interested in teenagers, you're not interested in learning your skills, the stories are great. I interviewed uh, someone who at 14 fought in the Burmese War. I interviewed someone who as a teenager was in Iran uh, during the Iran-Iraq War. I interviewed people who are one of Australia's greatest drummers. I've interviewed someone who is a human rights commissioner. And I've interviewed uh, just day-to-day people who, you know, just have done great things in their lives, but, you know, they might not be so famous. I've also interviewed an amazing human being by the name of Dale Sidebottom. You might have heard, <laughs> of, heard him. He's great. So it's just a whole, a whole lot of stories. And I reckon in when I re-publish uh, Connecting With Kids, I want to do the same interview people when they were, were a kid because it really connects to the, the theme or the topic, uh, mm. their story of, of resilience, their story of, of gratitude, this this story of respecting differences. So that's what I think I'll do. Did um and obviously that was something I really wanted to talk about because I I really like that as well. Um, did hearing people's stories because I know I obviously talk to a lot of people on this podcast. My other one, Andy, that um I'm very fortunate when you get to interview someone and you're really present with them what they talk about will trigger something with you. Sometimes it's positive, sometimes it's not. Um, what did that bring out in you by obviously sitting down and having all those interviews? Did it remind you things? Did you learn things about yourself? Did you rediscover? Well, I reckon for me, it was it was just great to connect with people and hear a really personal story. And I, I, I just being with them was really great. And it's amazing when you ask 
ask someone, oh, can I interview for my interview you for my book? And they immediately a lot of people say, oh, I've got nothing to talk about. I'm not very <laughs> interesting. So, but everyone has something. It's amazing. And I'm, everyone has more than one story. And I, I just love hearing these stories. And I've got on my my list of things to do is a project is to start a podcast of stories because. I, I don't know about you, but when people start, when I hear people talk about their stories, I just get so hooked in and engaged. And it, re- it does remind me of my life and other experiences that I've had. But to hear a story from someone is, for me, it's just such a wonderful way to connect. In the classroom, I work with teachers and I, and I also, talking to kids and stuff, if I can just share a story about me, about my weekend, about something like that, that they, they connect with you, they get you. you. You're giving some of you to to others. And in the classroom, if I can connect a story about me to build that relationship, I sometimes connect the story too to one of those executive skills like kindness or sharing or um, respecting differences. And also the focus might be on a lesson that they're doing, like a maths lesson. It could be on fractions, for example. And we talk, I talk about pizzas and have, had some pizzas on the weekend that I made in the pizza oven. I had a friend over, Dale, you know, and I was just being kind because, you know, haven't seen him for a while and he's a bit, a bit of a low spot, so I invited him over. So that sort of story. And then I talk about the pizzas and we cut it up to quarters and, you know, all that sort of stuff. So just so it's, it's just a great way, you know, introducing lessons, building relationships. It just, it, I love stories. They're fantastic. Mm. Well, I think if you just look at uh, why, and this is one of the biggest aspects of uh, gamification and why kids love gaming, because the storytelling, the narrative in those games is so good. Um, So we know that. So when we come to teaching anybody anything, it doesn't matter if you're in a workplace, at a sports club or at a school, education comes down from building a connection and that connection comes through sharing a story. The learning takes place through that journey. Um, We all know that. Um, why don't we use it more often? Is it, I know it's a skill. It's, it's a, it's a skill and not everyone has it, but it's something you can work at. Yeah, I think, I think I agree with you that I think everyone does have it and it does sometimes take a bit of work and it's a bit of practice just to be able to walk into a classroom and go, right, this is what's going on. This is what the kids need. And this is what the lesson is to be able to do that. I'm quite good at that now because I've been doing it for quite a while. And I think to start with, you a bit like, oh, you're bumbling and fumbling around a bit. I'm not sure how to do it. So sometimes it might take a bit of planning. So as a classroom teacher, you might be thinking, right, what, what, do, I want, what do I want uh, my kids to get out of this story? But then, you know, just sometimes just if you think about spending time with friends and they're telling you stories about their weekend or their, their camping trip or their trip overseas or the, the meal they cooked, all those stories, we're all telling stories all the time. Mm. We, I don't yeah. think, I don't know if we give ourselves enough credit for being storytellers because, you know, that's what we, when we're meeting with friends, that's what we're doing. Yeah. Yeah. So some of, some people don't tell them that well, particularly uh, over a few yeah. years, some people get worse, but um, yeah. I think exactly what you yeah. said there, Andy, I can relate to that, but why is the default thing that everybody goes to? And like you just said, when you reached out to so many different people about having a story, Negative self-talk. The first thing we say, oh, I don't have any, oh, I don't have a story. No, no one want to listen to me. You know, it's a, it's a negative straight away before we even think about it. And the skill sets we want, not only our kids, but our teenagers having is being confident and being brave and being proud of who they are and being well, able to back themselves. But we're hypocrites because we're the worst. Like everyone does that. And you didn't mention that when you reached out to people. Do you find that funny? 
I do find it funny, and I wonder why too. Because when you do start talking to people, everyone's got hundreds of stories. <laughs> you know, it is interesting. And oh, I, I haven't done anything special. You know, people go, oh, you know, for example, Andy, you know, you run workshops and you've written a couple of books. You'll say, you know, you've achieved so much. And I say, well, anyone can do that sort of stuff. It's like I don't see myself as being special or different. You know, I'm just a normal sort of person. Okay, it took a bit of commitment to to get this stuff going and some passion, but you know, everyone has this stuff in them. I'm not saying that everyone should write in books or everyone should run workshops or whatever, but you know, you can you can do little things to make your life a bit better. You know, whatever it is, you might have something you want to achieve. Maybe it's your fitness. I don't know. Maybe it's something with relationships. I don't. We can all all do things to make ourselves a little bit better. Mm, we definitely can. Um, I think one of the hardest things is just starting. Um, where did you start on your journey, mate? Like, cause obviously, as you said, you're running workshops for families, for kids, for teachers, you've got two books out now. And that's an amazing achievement for somebody. I'm not a very good writer, but I somehow scratched together one, Andy, and it was a very hard process. You've done it twice and you've got another one on the way, mate. Wow. You, you're, that's, it's very impressive. Um, do you remember what, was the first thing you did to start sort of the ball rolling on your journey of, you know, what you're doing now as consulting, of author, you know, presenting. Do you remember where it started? I knew I had something in me for quite a while, but I didn't know what. And I think working in, in schools, uh, so I've been in schools for about 20 years, that I knew, I knew, I've always known that relationships and well-being, uh, well-being really is, is priority because if kids don't have their well-being right, learning's very, very difficult. And I I know that that is vital. When you talk to parents and stuff, you know, you know, you talk about their academic results. If things are going well, they're interested. But if things aren't going well, they're only concerned. I just hope my, I just want my kid to be happy. We all know that. So I, you know, I knew schools weren't doing such a great job with that quite a while ago. Schools have really picked up. Now learning in Victoria, learning and well-being are put on equality. They're, they're equal. Um, we do sometimes forget that and worry about NAPLAN results and stuff, but no one's interested in great NAPLAN results if the well-being suffering. So that was a sort of calling for me, and I just thought, what can I do about this? And that's where it sort of started, just sort of writing a bit and um, thinking about how, I know I know schools do a great job, but I also know as a parent that I am the number one educator for my kids. I am, and Sandy as well. So I know the parents are the number one educator. So what can I do to be a better parent? What can I do to help others be a better parent? Because schools will do what they can, and they do a great job. But I think we need to recognise that as parents, we're the number one educators. So we really need to take care of our kids, need to advocate for them, and we need to make sure their mental health and wellbeing is – we're helping them with that. When I'm not saying it's going to be perfect because all of us will have some challenges and suffer. You know, that's just life. But, you know, how can we be – how can I and we be better parents? Mm, so, so true. And uh, I talk about this all the time that um, parents, teachers and schools need to be working as a community. You know, there's, there's three parts of the triangle there. You've got the students, the teachers and the parents. And unless all three are working well together, um, you know, there's going to be issues and normally that'll be affecting the student, the child. Um, so it's very important, you know, particularly that parent and uh, teacher relationship is crucial. Like you just mentioned now, um, when you started writing, because it's all well and good to have some ideas, Andy, but um, 
were yep. you scared? What made you, what, how did you overcome the fear? And, you know, it was so scared of fear and judgment and what are people going to say? Do you, have you, did, did, yeah. did you have that or no, you didn't? I just, no, I just did it. I didn't really think about that. Good man. I look, like that. I, I, I know, I know some people like me. I know some people think I'm great. And also know some people think I'm an idiot and that's okay. <laughs> the world is, there's seven, seven billion people in the world and I can't please everyone. I will do what I think's right, and some people are going to think you're a dickhead, and that's okay. I'm okay with that. I know I'm not going to be liked by everyone, and that's I think for me, I was always sort of thinking, oh, I hope everyone likes me. I hope I'm you know well received. I hope I hope that you know I'm a good person. But you know what? If if I am trying to make a difference and contribute, that's what's important. And um, really, really well known therapist by the name of Milton Erickson. Uh, he, there's a lot of people who follow his his hypnosis, Ericksonian hypnosis. He said, "Just do good work." Now we can all do this and we can all do that, but if you, in your heart of hearts, are just doing good work, that's what we need to do. Whether you're, you know, sweeping the streets, whether you're a elite sportsman, whether you're a presenter, whether you're a teacher, whether you're a gardener, whether you're a nurse, if you're just doing good work, that's what makes a difference. Mm, correct. And if you try and please everyone, you end up pleasing no one, particularly yourself. Yep, exactly. Um, yep. So you've got, I, you've got to, you've just got to do it and just, you've got to live your life. And if you worry about what others are going to think, you're not going to live your life. No. <laughs> and if you worry about people thinking you're a dickhead, then if you're like Andy or Dale, then you're going to have a few people that think you're like that, but don't, you know, you can always correct. focus on those. And this is my thing. And I don't know if you get this as well, when you're presenting or whatever, people go, well, what happens to the ones that aren't engaged or aren't doing it? I said, good on them. They're going to miss out because 95% everyone else is loving it. You know, you can focus yep. on the things you want to, but you can focus on things you can control and you can't control how people act or perceive you or what they come across as. It's simple, isn't it? Correct. Sure is. They'll be what they will be. Yep. Uh, now, obviously, looking at your book, and I know the feeling when it comes in the mail and um, the hours that goes into something like <laughs> this, what are you most proud of um, from your second publication? I know you were saying before that, um, you you know, connecting with your kids, you've got ideas now how you want to improve that. So that's always something great that you're looking for ways to add value to what you've already created to make it better. Um you know, with the new one though, connecting with your teens, what what really like makes your heart sing? Like, really fills you with joy about this publication, Andy? Uh, that it is. Although I'm the author, it's I have so many others who've contributed, and it feels like a, a, a book written by quite a few people. You know, like it, it just it's got more in it than just my sort of thoughts and ideas. I think the contributions from from others, it's just been fantastic, and it's been a, a pleasure for me to everyone who's contributed to this book, I've signed a copy and posted it to them or given it to them, to give that as a contribution, as a thanks, has been so, so lovely for me to do. I just, it's to be able to give give away something that they've been part of and we've worked, to, like it's a, like a, a community of people who've done this. It's just really, I'm really proud to have worked with so many people. It's, mm. And I really enjoy it. I just enjoy the stories too, you know. And I'm hoping that that, because it's so simple, each chapter has 10 ideas. I'm hoping that people, like with the first book, it'll sit on the table and hopefully kids will go or teens will go, hey, mum, dad, let's do something from that book. Come on, 
just to do something because last time they did something was fun and the time before was fun. And it's not like you've got to stop and we've got to find two hours and we've got to find money and we've got to find resources. Some of them are like 10-minute activities. Five minutes, you know, it's really simple. There's nothing. And when there's 10 activities and you choose one a week, you might see nine of them go, they're crap for our family. Our family, they don't work. But there's one idea you go, that idea for our family is a gem. Yep. So there's a whole lot of variety. That's that's what I think, a whole lot of simple stuff that you can do. Mm, and and I love that as well. Don't don't just get, if something doesn't work, don't get caught up on it. That doesn't work, move on, find one that does. Um, yeah. And I think that's yep. the best thing about it. There's so many examples. Yeah, and you might actually go, you know what, activity and activities. Activity three and seven, let's combine them. They're perfect for our family because why not? Or actually, you know what? Let's just, none of these work. Let's just do something from the chapter before. Why not? Who cares? Just you're doing something. You're doing something with your kids or with your teens and you're just building that relationship. You're doing something. It doesn't matter what because we get so busy and we just end up doing nothing. And no device, no screen. You know, that uh, as handy as they are, you know, we're doing this over Zoom at the moment. We connect through our phones and emails yep. and everything like that. Get rid of them. They just distract. They're not going to help. Yeah, they do. And yet I've got a chapter about managing screens. And some of the activities are get with your teenager and get them to teach you their favorite game on the screen. You know, sometimes, you know, I agree with you, get rid of screens. But sometimes the generation of teens we've got, they've only known screens. Mm. So sometimes we've got to be flexible and go, Hey, come on, let's do some screen. You show me that game. You know, no matter, you might be thinking, this is crap. I have no interest <laughs> in playing this game, but it doesn't matter. They're explaining it to you and stuff. I sometimes watch Monty playing some some of these games and the graphics are phenomenal. I've got one of that PS4 in the garage. And sometimes I have a chat to him about it, but they're yeah, great. It's not my thing. I don't want to sit down and do it, but he does. So, you yeah. know. I think with that as well, mate, that uh, you're empowering them, you're giving them ownership to life skills that we need, you know, be able to explain something, do instruction, uh, take control. Yeah. Um, uh, that's a really undervalued skill that uh, you're allowing them to do and then they share their passion. The more they do that, it just becomes second nature. Yep. And also to manage it too, just to know oh, when, when is enough enough, you know. It's for them. They've we've got to skill them so when they move out, they're not going to be sitting on you know gaming and not going to work and not contributing to society. So yeah. you know they've got to be able to do that independently. So true. Um, obviously, three kids, mate. What uh, what's been their feedback? They're probably the harshest critics or the the ones that really matters. Um, how's the feedback been? <laughs> A few people have. have if I come over and they've seen the book and they've gone, oh, you're famous, you're on the cover, you know, I've come over a famous book. I'm not sure about famous, but uh, <laughs> the feedback's been pretty good because each, each of my kids have contributed a story too to that, which has been good. And I've actually asked for them feedback. And Finn, uh, my 18-year-old, he said to me before it was published, oh, can I have a copy of the book? He just wanted to read the book. So that was very good too. So I've given them all a copy and it's probably going to gather dust on their shelves, you know, with the other book, but that's all right. And I just gave them a copy to say thanks for their part. But um I think Daisy, Daisy, and Finn are pretty proud of the jokes being part of uh, making them as well. So that was that was good. <laughs> I I think the jokes are great. Not only that, uh, I love the covers of them. It's the progression of your family. Um, you know, the first one obviously yes. when they're kids, now they're teens. Uh, I think that's probably the most lovely thing. I look at it and think, wow, that's really special. Yep, yep. No, I think they've said something like, "When you're going to." When are you going to uh, write a book connecting with your, your parents or something? So, yes. 
<laughs> I'm not sure about it. I said, you, you guys can write that. <laughs> you uh, pass the baton to a mate. Now, anywhere can we get yep. the book? Uh, obviously, uh, people will be listening to this. Um, they might have kids. Some might have teenagers. Even yep. if they don't, they are all life skills that obviously you can implement into your own life with your partner, with your friends, whoever, to improve some aspect of your life. So where can we get it? You can get it on Amazon or Booktopia. You can also get it direct from my publisher, which is Amber Press, A-M-B-A. Uh, you can get it through there. And if you go to my website, all those links are in there, andymcneely.com.au. Um, that's the easiest place to get it, all those places. Easy, simple. Beauty. Well, listeners, I'll have uh, links in episode number 317, so you can uh, reach out, grab that from Andy's website or anywhere on the web. Um also, what happens if somebody wants to book you in for a workshop? How do we go about doing that? You can make contact with me through my website. That's uh, got deep contact details through there, and uh, fill in the, your name and phone number and email or something like that, and then I'll I'll be in contact with you. Easy peasy. Well, there you go, two-time author. I'll tell you what, that's the sort of person you want to get in front of a crowd. Credibility galore. Now, Andy, uh, thank you so much once <laughs> again. <laughs> thank you so much once again for being on the show, mate. And congratulations on the second book. Um, I can't wait to dive into it a little bit more, mate. You should be uh, really proud. And listeners, make sure you go and grab a copy. It is amazing. Um, not only that, the jokes in it are spot on. So, Andy, thanks so much, mate, and congratulations. Uh, good on you, Dale. It's been a pleasure. It's always fun to talk to you. Thank you.